All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. We're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite streaming podcast apps. And don't forget the iHeart app on your phone for our podcast, Money Wise. So as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So Jeff, take it away. Okay, and the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 1,144 points or 3.4%. The S&P 500 last week is up about 114 points or 2.7%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 330 points or 2.4%. Now for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 12.5%. The S&P 500 year to date is up 14%. And the NASDAQ year to date is up 11.4%. So, Jeff, let me ask you, and Joe, do you think we uh, need to send a thank you card to uh, Jerome Powell for calming the markets down with his testimony on Wednesday to the uh, to to uh, to Congress? <laughs> well, someone, <laughs> we get it. We got to get our thirty seconds out of the way because I don't want to get yelled at again by Dad. So we're starting off with the Fed. I, yeah, we're just hey, going, we're, we're just, just going right, right in. Right in. I, I did have a, wait, gonna... I, I did have a directive from the uh, chairman emeritus, aka <laughs> aka dad, that we were no longer allowed to refer to the Federal Reserve as the F word because people might misconstrue that as something else. So we just need to stick. Okay. With, we just need to stick with the Fed. That, <laughs> that was the directive from the chairman emeritus. Okay. For this so, <laughs> so back to my question, do we owe Jerome Powell a thank you card and a bouquet of flowers for calming the markets down on Wednesday with his testimony to Congress? Do you really think that that's what, that's the only reason why the markets were up this week? Um, I would say that it definitely did not hurt to, because the prior week we had Jim Bullard, from the St. Louis Fed, who's not a voting member, rallied the markets to where we had a 500 down point day on Friday two weeks ago, mm-hmm. where we come into this past week where seemed like it's fairly smooth sailing. And in the commentary from Jerome Powell 
in his testimony was back to this again more dovish tone well he is stuck to his guns that the higher inflation numbers and we got another uh yeah, this week when we have per I, I think it was well i guess I guess it was durable producer. good well i'm sorry was it producer price no we didn't we didn't actually we did not have any uh i don't think we had any inflation numbers this week i think there was a, a pce deflator or something that we that's what it was i'm sorry yeah, ladies and PCE gentlemen I'm, I'm trying to remember this we don't ever talk about this pce deflator but the federal reserve uh does follow it and it was hotter than expected but the markets completely ignored it because the markets have taken the position that the federal reserve chairman has taken that all these higher inflation statistics that have been occurring over the last two months they believe the market you know at this point believes that they are temporary that it's not a uh, it's not a trend. It's just a trade. And this trade, too, uh, shall correct the other way, meaning uh, the rate of inflation, rate of increase in inflation that we've seen in the last few months is, is going to come down. That's what the market is, is saying by, by the fact that it's running up the way that it has in the face of this particular number this week that the Fed follows very closely, but no one else does. Uh, the other thing is, you know, it's the end of the quarter. Which, but, but which, which is unusual, Jeff, because we've we've noticed well, patterns in the past where the towards the end of the quarter we see a little bit more selling than we do buying, and when you see the Nasdaq making several new all-time highs this past week, the S and P making several new all-time highs this past week. Now, July is historically one of the most solid months of the year for gains throughout history. Now, I'm not saying that it's got the biggest gains. But it is more, um, from a statistical standpoint, more often than not, July is a positive month for stocks. Okay. So I don't know if that is another reason for investors to be, you know, kind of, I don't want to say in a buying spree, but more in a buying mode. But I think something else that came out of this testimony from this past week is I think, and we've talked about this, is that the Federal Reserve is being very open and transparent when it comes to when they're going to slow down their quantitative easing. <laughs> really? Now, wait a second. It's not going to be like a, it was, it's not going to be like it was several years ago under, under, I think it was either Janet Yellen or Ben Bernanke when they were doing the quantitative easing after the financial crisis. And they just came right out and said, we're stopping it. And it just kind of came out of the blue and it shocked the market and the market reacted negatively to that shock where yeah. the federal reserve this time around is much more transparent saying, look, this is what we're talking okay, about. Well, this is what I, I mean, about. help, help me out. What, what did they say specifically when they were going to start tapering? No, but versus, but okay. But I but but I think what they're going to do is when they finally do announce when they're going to start tapering. Gonna it's not gonna, it. Exactly, they're, it's not going to be right at that meeting. Oh, by the way, we're stopping quantitative easing. The market, whenever, say, whenever, the market is not whenever like surprises. Easy. That's what it does not like. That's well, right, Joe. Like the market, that are, the market's going to be surprised whenever they announce it. But but they're going to announce it saying it's going to start this month or it's going to start that month. They're but they're going to be say, surprised. They're going to be surprised that they announced that it. Uh, yeah, I don't I, think so. I, I, I don't. I don't think the market is going to react yeah. as negatively. I believe it was in twenty fourteen okay. when the last time it was this kind of shock. But at the end of the day, there's from a 
investment management decision-making standpoint, there's no investment decision to be made because we don't know when the announcement's going to happen. We don't true. know when the timing is going to happen. So it, it's not it's not something you can really prepare a portfolio for other than just have a reasonable mix of stocks, bonds, and cash. And we come back from break, we'll talk about what our current allocation is to stocks, bonds, and cash. Well, and don't forget that you have to be vigilant and constantly yes. actively managing those assets. So let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, just kind of recapping, recapping the happenings from Wall Street this past week. And as I'd mentioned in the last segment, I felt that Jerome Powell and the chairman of the Federal Reserve kind of calmed the markets down quite a bit with concern, you know, considering the previous week and James Bullard and his hawkish tone. So Jerome Powell coming in with more of a dovish tone and reiterating the dovish tone, I think cleared some of the path for buying to start coming back into the market. Until some Federal Reserve governor comes out there and says something else that's construed as hawkish and, and the <laughs> machines get a hold of that information and, and go the other way for a day. We, we got three day, we got three trading days left in the uh, second quarter. If the quarter had ended on Friday, uh, the S&P would have been up with dividends over 8% for the quarter. Well, that's 32% annualized. And you know, we'd already said for the year, uh, without dividends, the S&P's 500 is up 14%. With dividends, you'd call it uh, 15%. If I was to go about and pull out our statistics or, or our expectations for the other predictions that we made, I'm not sure that any of us we're at uh, 15% for the whole year, much less halfway through the year. No. Uh, I think I was the most bullish. You were. Okay. I was uh, the most bearish. I was, I was about 13.5% handle on the S&P. And, and, and Joe okay. was Switzerland. So Switzerland. that's Joe usually Switzerland. the case. <laughs> with you well, you're, you're also a referee. So, I mean, that, that, that also – we actually – Joe, for Halloween, I know what you need to do. We need to ask Dad to let you borrow one of his officiating uniforms <laughs> that, that he mothballed many, many well, the years ago. The problem is your dad is 6'5", is and I'm uh, about 5'8". <laughs> the pants might be a little long. Taken in a bit. Yeah, the pants might be a little long. Talking about you, tapering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. talking about, <laughs> talk about tapering. <laughs> you could be the, the in-office referee between Jeff and I. So, <laughs> but, but, but getting back to, getting back to the portfolio – um, and, and really, we've, we've pretty much been in this mindset from the beginning of the year when it comes to looking at our tactical minimums and maximums and a moderate allocation where we'll go to a maximum allocation of 70% into the stock market and our moderate allocations. And we can go as low as a 40 to 35% allocation, maybe even in 
dire market conditions, even to a 30% allocation in stocks, we've still felt very comfortable with right around between a 60 to 65% allocation to the stock side of our portfolio in a moderate allocation. So we're not near our maximums, that's for sure. And I, I think we are all in agreement that we feel very comfortable with our current stock allocation. Well, yeah, one Jared. other piece of news, and we didn't talk about that in the last segment, and Kyle and I talked about it briefly on Friday, is coming to an agreement, a bipartisan agreement on infrastructure bill. And I know what it's going to look like, and I know we can go down the road and talk about other things that are going to be added and changed with the current administration. But I think if you're talking about asset allocation with the, in the portfolio, Kyle, and I was looking at ours earlier this week, you know, we're, we're slightly overweight industrials, which I think if this does get through, all right, I think that's an area that, uh, you know, if you're looking at a portfolio and looking at actually last the last week, what else helped the market? I mean, it wasn't just Powell and the Fed. I think that you have a little bit of a bump when uh, Biden announced that and made that. Well, I think another thing that's hap helped the market is that we've been talking about here the last few weeks uh, about interest rates and interest rates have generally been trending lower here for really the last two months. I think if you go back and look at a, a chart of the 10 year treasury yield, it's bumped up a little bit here in the week just passed back up over one and a half percent on a 10 year treasury yield. That, that trending down in uh, yields has helped uh, large cap tech. Uh, Cause we, we saw the exact opposite occurring when, in, when yields were rising, we were seeing uh, money leaving large cap tech and you know the the Nasdaq as uh, you know in terms of the three big indices for the quarter, the Nasdaq is nearly double the performance of the Dow, you know up up almost eight and a half percent for the quarter. The Dow up about you know not 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 too shabby four and a half percent just for the quarter. Uh, so there's definitely been money move. You know, what we seeing, what we're seeing this year, is just this this constant, constant shifting, yeah. this constant shifting amongst the uh, some of the asset classes, but still, you know, still value is is winning is winning out over growth. Uh, the, one of the questions we've been asking ourselves and have been you know, the last few weeks here on the on the Money Wise Radio Show is uh, is is the growth side of the market, growth stock side of the market, going to start to, to, to catch up to the value side? I think it's, it's happening now. Is it, is it going to be a situation where uh, growth is going to overtake value by the end of the year? Probably not. I think the only way that happens is we'd have to see interest rates continue to trend down. And I think the only way that interest rates trend down is uh, if we start to see the economy really cool from you know, from this big run up we're having in in the post COVID uh, recovery, because we're gonna you know all the states are open now, right? Uh, the, but not all the states have rolled back their unemployment okay. benefits. The unemployment benefits, I believe, all are done in September. We got well, July and, did, and August. Did, is that right? They did, ex they did extend the PPP one more month. But that's yeah, one more month. Employers. That was just announced late on Friday that they're extending the PPP for employers. But but yeah, you're right, Jeff. That's the thing is we still have a very large employee base that could go out and work that are still staying at home because they're making more money staying at home than going out and working. And that's why we still have 
this eight, over 8 million jobs available with 8 million people still unemployed. So that too shall end. And we know that the Federal Reserve has been on record saying that they feel very confident that inflation is going to be right around the 3% level by the time we get to the end of the year. And when you were yeah. talking about inflation earlier in the program, I think the Fed is very much telegraphed that, yeah, inflation is going to be running hotter through the end of the year. Yeah. And that we're not going to start seeing it subside possibly till the first or second quarter, but it's all going to be dependent upon people getting back to work and what kind of income, what kind of, of hourly rates are these business owners going to have to pay to entice people to go back to work, but obviously not having the extra unemployment benefit is, is definitely a great motivating factor well, for it, people to get back to work. And to Kyle's point, I was talking to one of my buddies who has a restaurant here in San Antonio, and I think he has two or three chefs that he actually had to now put on salary and give them full benefits. So if you're talking about inflation, you're talking about obviously increasing your salary, your hourly wages, what is that going to look like and how permanent is that going to be? And I think we're talking, we've talked, go ahead, Jeff. I'll give you, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Joe. I'll give you just some, some statistics for uh, related to salaries and wages. And this, this came from the May personal income and consumption, uh, which was announced on Friday. Private sector wages and salaries are up a massive 15.7% in the past year. But more importantly, they also stand 6.3% above pre-COVID levels. So that can be a long-term driver for inflation more longer term. Yeah. And, and, I think that's a point you're also, driving I had, at. I had another directive from the chairman emeritus because he wanted to, he wanted to take a little bit of issue as he you know always does about when we start to talk about the federal reserve and their predictions for inflation in 2022 and 2023 and he's just like you got to give me a break there's no one that truly has any idea what inflation rates or interest rates are going to be a year from now, 18 months from now, two years from now. And, and I, 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 I agree. I hundred percent agree. Well, we, we talked Data about it last that. week. We're coming out of a pandemic and, and, and your dad, no is, one knows. No one has Chairman that Emeritus mentioned that. And also Friday, Wells Fargo and bank of America had completely different opinions on how long this inflation is going to last. So Nobody really does it's, know. It's, it's an educated guessing game is really what it is, and it's data dependent. And so this all comes back around to, to investors' portfolios where vigilance is absolutely yeah. critical. So, you so can't, right you now, can't yeah. set it and forget it because the data can change at any moment in time. And so you have to be prepared to be making those adjustments and changes to your portfolio to either protect or to take advantage. This week, the market is in the camp of the Federal Reserve. That inflation that we've yes. been seeing is temporary because because if the market believed that it wasn't we wouldn't be talking about an 1143 point up week in the dow we'd be talking about the opposite an 1100 point down week in the dow and and that could most surely change uh when we get some more statistics next week which i'll talk about after the break Okay, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the MoneyWise podcast on all your favorite streaming podcast services. So, Jeff, you said you had some statistics. What are we get? Is this our economic corner or some? Well, other- I was talking. I was talking about what next week. You know, this week's statistics: the existing home sales and new home sales numbers. They were both negative, but think they're so inventory. They're so skewed by what's happening with inventory and increasing in pro- increase in prices and all that. Can I just say one thing yeah. about a price increase? Some of the things I'm noticing here in San Antonio, I just have this feeling that we're kind of hitting the peak. I just feel that because you know I'm constantly looking at at the housing market and homes going up for sale and looking at some of these prices that are being asked. And when I see some of these just uh, obscenely high prices, I'm seeing these homes sit. Well, and the the only the one thing that I'm concerned about that that I haven't seen any statistics on, seen any anybody do any stories on, is with this increase in prices, is it driving up the appraisals such that people are able to get a loan based on these? these higher appraisals based on the appreciation in price um, or are the appraisals not keeping up with the, with the appreciation in price. And so the homeowners, the prospective home buyers are having to come up with more cash to go into the deal. And so the bank is not into, into this, this, the home loan as much as it otherwise would have if the, appraisers were showing these you know much higher prices if the price was showing these much higher prices and the banks are into these homes for much higher loan to value and this turns around what does that is there going to be trouble for that like down the road now i don't think that there's the level of liar loans and the things that were happening in 2005 six seven that was that was part of uh, one of the precursors to the beginning of the financial crisis. I'm not hearing about that, and we just heard the, the all the stress, stress tests, tests came out. What on Thursday, Friday? Yeah, Thursday. Pass with flying colors. Pass with flying colors, which are going to allow them to increase their dividends and increase their share buybacks. And we saw, we definitely saw the banks catching a bit, as you say, Kyle. On Friday, uh, absolutely. With, with, with that news, so there's always yeah, there's a big question mark there. The stories I've been reading is is mostly people are having to just come up with more money down uh, to get into these homes. I also have you know, have some some concern that you know homeowners getting in at these higher much higher prices. If things do turn around, they're going to be stuck with these houses. How many of them let them get let you know just walk away from them? This is all, you know, this is not you know, like the hurricane sitting out in the Gulf 50 miles offshore and we got to put no. our hurricane shutters up. I'm just telling you there might be a little depression about 2,000 miles away that we got to keep keep an eye on in case things turn. You know, but what, what we're seeing right now is there's a slowing of activity is just due to, like you said, Kyle, lack of 
of supply. I was talking to a pool contractor uh, yesterday, and this is a pool contractor that builds a lot of pools in Corpus and very well known. And she said, our backlog currently is 18 months. I have signed contracts on 18 months worth of pools. Wow. Wow. That's a good problem to have. I said, has your backlog ever been this big in in the history of your company? She said, no, it has not. It's never been this big. Wow. She further told me that anybody that had built a pool in the last, say, four to five years ago and tried to build that same pool today would cost them 25% more. Wow. Well, that's supply bottleneck. I mean, that's, that's inflation right there. And, you know, and I think, I think that also leads to why we also have the supply issue, Jeff, because we don't have the supplies to build the house or the cost of building the house is more expensive. So the builders are having to charge more or they're having to squeeze their margins on top of charging more to get the home built and to maintain some level of affordability if it's a particular kind of builder that builds in more preset kind of corporate neighborhoods. Because obviously in San Antonio, we have some large corporate, you know, corporate builders here in town. And we also have smaller uh, home builders that deal in more custom. So again, home buyers are only limited by their budget, but everything is costing more. But I'm just noticing that some of these exorbitant prices in particular areas of town here in San Antonio, and I'm seeing these homes definitely sit, and the ones that are priced right are literally gone in days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So well, lumber's it, come down a bunch. It has, uh, but it takes sixty to ninety days for it to filter through down to the to the retail level, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, whether that's you know the case or not, but all the other inputs. I mean, I was being t- she was telling me about uh, PVC pipe. You know how much PVC, you know the the plastic that goes in the PVC pipe has gone up uh, in price. Uh, steel and the wood they use for their forms. I mean, all these different little inputs that you might not necessarily think of uh, as driving up prices. Uh, the statistic that I'm, you know, the market is going to be looking at next week is going to be the unemployment number, which is going to be coming out on Friday. And so you've got this. All right, if it's better than expected, are we going to get a negative market? reaction if it's, it's good worse, gonna be bad yeah, yeah it's good gonna be bad is bad gonna be good or is it gonna be goldilocks uh well i mean again going into the month of july historically being the most solid month for stocks um you know it's just gonna be a wait and see it's data dependent jeff i'm gonna pull a fed i'm gonna pull the fed it's all data dependent but I, I did want to shift gears and talk about something that for our longtime Money Wise listeners know is a subject that is near and dear to our heart that really gets us fired up in a negative way. But we feel that it's something that's extremely critical for all investors to learn about in order to avoid making the decision to go down this, this path because it can be very hurtful to your portfolio and really just a giant expensive waste of time for anyone to get into this. And what I'm talking about are equity indexed annuities. They're also called fixed indexed annuities or they're called hybrid annuities. They have all these different monikers that are used by the insurance sales uh, companies out there to try to get investors to buy these products. And I want to first start off by saying that equity indexed annuities were created 
a little bit more than 20 years ago, and they were created to compete against the performance of CDs. So first and foremost, it's important for every listener to understand equity indexed annuities were created to compete against the performance of CDs. Well, what's a CD paying right now, Jeff, on a jumbo? You know, less than 2%? On a, on a jumbo? Let's wow. just say on a jumbo. Okay, let's well, just no, say- No, no, right. no, no, no. I mean, if you got a 10-year treasury yield at 1.5%, so you're going to, a jumbo is probably less than 1%. Okay. So right there, in, you know, it's important to understand that that's why equity index annuities were originally created all those, you know, a couple decades ago. It's also important to understand that equity indexed annuities is not considered a security. Let me repeat, is not considered a security. It is an insurance product. So because it is not a security, it is not regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, meaning that there are very much, there's much more loose rules from the State Board of Insurance when it comes to the sales tactics. Yes, and I use the word sales tactics, the word sales tactics, and selling these products, meaning the salesman can use some fairly outrageous statements about what an equity indexed annuity can do for you and your assets than they could if they were actually a licensed security salesman because the State Board of Insurance um, has very limited recourse or the salesmen have very little risk of getting in a massive amount of trouble for some deceptive sales practices. And so it's very important to understand that. Now, some of the ways that you can identify when you're trying to be sold an equity indexed annuity, some of the key phrases that the salesmen love to use is all the participation of the market with none of the downside. You have zero risk of losing money. That sounds great. But a question I would ask is, well, what is my potential on the upside? It's one thing about keeping your hole shallow or keeping your hole completely level but what about actually getting some investment growth? You know, getting some gains in my monies that I'm, I'm putting into this insurance product. Well, what the salesman will put in front of you is pages and pages of mathematical calculations at how the equity indexed annuities calculate the kind of interest that they can credit your account. And I'm here to tell every single listener, if it takes pages and pages of a mathematical calculation to try to explain to you how your credited returns in this insurance product, that is your first warning flag to get up and run from this product. It's important to also understand that equity indexed annuities are extremely expensive to you, the client, but of course the salesman's going to tell you, oh, well, I don't, I don't make anything on this. That's something that they love to say. I don't, I don't make anything on this. Well, that should be another warning flag. So, so this, the insurance salesman is just selling this out of the goodness of their heart. They don't make a living off this at all. It's just their, it's the part of their community service that they do of selling these products, that they don't make anything. And when we come back from commercial break, I want to continue on this education. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this.
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch Moneywise podcast on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Moneywise program, trying to provide some investor education concerning equity indexed annuities, which let's just put it this way, you need to avoid these things like the Black Plague. Uh, first and foremost. And unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, financial infomercials broadcast all across the state of Texas uh, from very skilled insurance salespeople that make this product sound so great where you get all the participation in the stock market with none of the downside risk and everything is safe and everything is protected. And it sounds, it sounds better than sliced bread. Where do I sign? You know, this is what I've been looking for. This is the magic pill to invest with zero risk. Well, I'm here to tell you, folks, it is the biggest lie out there, period. It's nothing but a lie. It's a sales tactic, pure and pure and simple. So talking about indexed annuities, you know, one of the statements salesmen love to use is, well, I don't make anything on this. I don't make any commission. If you give me... $200,000, $200,000 is going to go into your annuity. Well, that's true. That is a true statement. But what they're not going to tell you, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but most of them won't, is that they're going to make most likely double-digit commissions north of 10%. So a $200,000 count, they could be making upwards of $20,000 plus in commissions. And that they have now locked your money up into deferred sales charges or what's called a contingent deferred sales charge that could last in some equity indexed annuity cases for more than a decade. Meaning if you buy this product and you realize that it's not cut out the way that it was sold to you, in order for you to get your money out, you have to take a surrender charge and those surrender charges can be exorbitant. You want to find out kind of roundabout what this insurance salesman might make from a commission on selling this product. Look at the first year surrender. If you see a first year surrender of 12%, pretty good idea that a 12% commission is paid on that product. And you see how many years your money is locked up. And the one thing it's also important to understand about all the upside of the market and none of the downside. Well, in equity indexed annuities, you do not get credit for dividends. And if this equity indexed annuity is tied to the S&P 500, that could be one and a half to close to 2% in return per year that's cut right off the table. And where do you think that goes? To the insurance company. So you already don't get that return in the S&P 500. And then if they tell you, well, you get 100% participation in the upside of the market, that's also a lie because they use multi-pages of mathematical calculations to credit your interest where you could also have a cap on how much that interest is a month. So you might see the S&P 500 in a given year up 12% and you might make two. You might make 3%. 
I always thought it was really interesting, Kyle, how many of these products are sold with a uh, sweetener, such as a bonus. It's like, if this product was so great, why do I need to offer a bonus to entice you to sign my contract and let me put your money in this, in this product? Well, a lot of times they have a bonus because if you've been buying multiple annuities from the same salesperson, they want you to get out, pay that four or 5% contingent deferred sales charge. Then you get a bonus to offset that contingent deferred sales charge. Now there's ah very cutting good point, down on that Joe. a little bit. I know. So that, that, that's, that, that's, that, yeah. that's a very good point is that get out of this annuity, take this surrender charge of three, four, 5%, but we're going to give you a bonus on the other side to make up that difference and lock you into an even longer surrender period that could last longer than a decade to entice you. And I can tell you folks, we, at Davidson Capital Management, we're in our 32nd year of business, and we have reviewed more portfolios than I can even count over the course of our 32 years. And I can tell you, I have sat down, both Jeff, Joe, and I, and we've examined equity indexed annuities that have come in from prospective clients. And I'm talking equity indexed annuities that have been owned in some instances for more than seven, eight, nine, even 10 years plus. And I can tell you the performance is atrocious. There is what's called opportunity cost loss. The loss of that opportunity for your money to be working harder for you than sitting inside of an extremely expensive, laden with fees, takes 150 pages to explain it, half of them mathematical calculations of how to give you, in, of how to credit return in your portfolio. And it's not cracked up to all the sales tactics that are used and to entice you to buy it. But because of the financial crisis, because of the other market downturns that we have seen since the financial crisis, this gives all the fuel to the insurance salesman fire to be selling these products. And why do these salesmen have other radio shows broadcast all over Texas? Because it pays an insane amount of commissions to the salesman that sells it. So imagine it's a million dollar policy, a million dollar equity indexed annuity. That could be six figures in commissions to the insurance salesman. How many million dollar equity indexed annuity policies does an insurance salesman have to sell to make an exorbitantly, have an exorbitant lavish lifestyle when they could be making six figures on every deal? Why do you think they're so motivated to sell these products and to sell you these false bills of goods? Why are these shows so prevalent on radio? That's right. That's right. There's very, there's very, very few shows like ours where you're actually talking to the people managing money who aren't selling any insurance products of any kind, any way, shape, or form, and are compensated solely on management fees, where if the client's account increases in value, so does our compensation. And if the client's portfolio decreases in value, so does our compensation. 
And don't forget, we're also fiduciaries. We're also fiduciaries. So we are required by law to put our client's interest in front of our own. And I can assure you, anyone that sells equity indexed annuities is not a fiduciary because if they are, the Securities and Exchange Commission needs to have a little conversation with them because they're not legally allowed to sell those products. And if you'd like to learn more about equity indexed annuities and why you need to avoid them like the Black Plague, you can always give us a call at 800-275-2162. And with that, we're coming up at the top of the hour for listeners of Money Wise on WOAI in San Antonio. We'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Don't forget, you can catch the second hour of our show by going to our website at davidsoncap.com and clicking the radio show link. And for listeners to Money Wise on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us here at Davidson Capital Management, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. Now, if you missed the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage. So in our second hour of this weekend's program, again, like to use the second hour to go into investor education and the topic for this second hour is really a topic that needs to be on an on a rotation each and every month because it is such a critical topic for investors all across the country to learn, understand, and realize when it comes to the point of them selecting an investment professional to work with and what they need to be looking for and how they can research and find out the background and education levels and licensing levels of the investment professional that they're planning on working with. Now, a topic that we have discussed on past Money Wise programs, and I feel like we've been talking about this for years. I think from the beginning of the show. Well, I know that we've talked about this particular subject, again, the differences between a broker, a stockbroker, and a registered investment advisor, but in particular the the research and analysis that the Securities and Exchange Commission is doing when it comes down to the fiduciary standard. Uh, and later on in this hour, I'm going to go into the definition of the fiduciary standard and what stockbrokers, what laws and directions they have to follow working with their clients and what 
what laws and rules and regulations that registered investment advisors like us here at Davidson Capital Management have to follow, and in particular revolving around this fiduciary standard, because this has been a topic that has been discussed at length really post-financial crisis. Um, And the Dodd-Frank Act, which took effect in 2010, put in uh, an actual an actual law that goes into the ability of the Securities and Exchange Commission to create a uniform fiduciary standard, which has yet to actually take place uh, across the financial service industry. And an article that came out of the Wall Street Journal this past week uh, titled SEC uh, Head Backs Fiduciary Standards for Brokers and Advisors Again, goes into Mary Jo White, who's the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, you know, really wanting tighter standards uh, for financial advisors who recommend stocks, bonds, and mutual funds to individual investors. And for any longtime listener to this program, they understand that your traditional stockbroker is on the financial sales side of the financial service industry, where registered investment advisors like us at Davidson Capital Management are on the asset management side of the industry. Well, let me say something right here, Kyle. The word advisor, I think, confuses the man in the street. In the old days, when I was a broker, we were either a broker or a registered representative. Advisors, financial advisors or investment advisors, by definition, we're registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. What has happened is the word registered representative or broker has been dropped by Wall Street, and they have picked up various terms which they really like to use, whether it's a wealth manager or a they like financial to use advisor. financial advisor, but they obviously don't say registered financial advisor because they wouldn't be working for a brokerage firm or registered few. investment advisor. So, so, so you the word advisor confuses the investor in the street. It it, it does, and a, again, I don't. I mean, I, I would hate to say that this is just strictly marketing, but it really comes down it is to marketing. marketing. It it does come down to marketing, and it's to convey the idea to a potential to a prospective client that the powers and abilities of that investment professional are above and beyond what they actually legally can do or what they normally do do with you know when it comes to working with their clients and you know last month the labor department is planning its own set of rules to tighten standards on financial professionals who advise on retirement account investments such as 401ks and of course and, president yes, obama, president obama has endorsed these these we haven't had a president get involved and 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 so he came out several months back talking about wanting to have these new standards and and you know really the Department of Labor is going and saying well hey we're putting in these new standards Securities and Exchange Commission why don't you put these standards in as well and Mary Jo White the head of the SEC makes it very clear that you know we're two different regulatory agencies and that we have our own processes and procedures that we have to go through in order to put this into place, but that she had had stated that she has been intensely studying this fiduciary standard regulations and what exactly the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to do. Now, the fact that she's been intensely studying this for just the last few months, I feel like we've been talking about this for years, so why is it just being... 
intensely studied over just the last couple of months. Well, maybe before we put our listeners totally to sleep using these fiduciary words and whatnot, why not give an example of why this should be something our listeners should be listening to? Well, I'm going to have to get to that example after we come back from the commercial break because the the, the story the no, you didn't check the clock. The 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 real world example I'm going to give, and and it really could apply to some of our a lot of our listeners that are listening right now of what you might run into when it comes to that point in time where you're ready to hop on that horse and ride off into the retirement sunset and you start going out and interviewing investment professionals that you might be planning or, or looking to work with. And as we've always advocated on this show, don't get caught behind the eight ball when it comes time to prepare and plan for your retirement as far as the investment professional that you're going to work with. You need to start the interview process six to eight months out, even 12 months out, just so you get all of your ducks in a row because the last thing we would want to see happen, and we've seen this time and time again talking and working with prospective clients coming into Davidson Capital Management, is that they waited to the last minute, they got thrown a sales pitch at them, that sounded so good to be true, too good to be true, but they signed on that dotted line and wound up getting involved in something that they wound up later regretting because they didn't do their proper due diligence uh, and doing the research it, It's re- research that's required before you hire an investment professional. So when we come back from the commercial break, I'll give you an example of going into the differences between suitability and fiduciary standard, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education, um, and again, I, I know we were talking during commercial break that some of this subject matter might be seen dry and boring, but this hour is so critical for any investor to listen and to learn from to protect themselves, to protect the retirement nest egg that they have worked 30, 35, 40, 45 years to build to not get taken by potentially unscrupulous investment professionals that are looking to make a very large and quick buck and big commission and to understand the rules and regulations that folks follow in the financial service industry and how they vary so greatly between that of your traditional stockbroker versus a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management. So I wanted to give you a real-world example, and this comes from one of our clients, this real-world example. Um, Several years ago, we had met, I mean several, I mean we're talking six, seven years ago, met with a prospective client who was going to be retiring and had, excuse me, had already retired had purchased an annuity, very sizable annuity, 
and the annuity was getting ready to be outside of its surrender penalty period. And they were looking to do something else with it. So they met with us, gave them you know, the, whole, the whole spiel, uh, the whole presentation as we do with any prospective client after we did a, a portfolio review and analysis for this prospective client. And I remember distinctly remembering in the meeting, I, I told him, whatever you do, whether you hire us or you hire somebody else, do not buy another annuity. And he said, gotcha, got it, understand. So this prospective client goes, leaves our office, follow up with them, don't hear back from them. About 16 months later, we get a phone call, and it was this prospective client. And he said, I need to come in and talk to you. Okay, comes in. Before I even round my desk, he says, you're probably wondering why I'm here. I'm like, sure, why are you here? He said, well... I should have listened to your advice, and I didn't. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look. And he hands me his paperwork, and what he had bought was another annuity, a variable annuity. And I asked him why. You know, give me the background as to what you did. He said, I called two stockbrokers in New York City. I called two stockbrokers in the state of Florida. I called a stockbroker in San Antonio, Texas. And all five of these stockbrokers all recommended an annuity to me. And he said, after talking to all five of these different brokers at different offices at different firms in different states, he thought to himself, well, if all five of these brokers are recommending annuity, then this is the direction that I need to go. This is what I should be buying because these five folks don't know each other from Adam, and they don't even work for the same firms, but that's what they're recommending. And, of course, when I relayed to the prospective client who then became a client that the reason why they were recommending it is because it pays the highest commission on Wall Street and explained to him round about the six-figure commission that was paid to these brokers, I just about saw his jaw hit the floor. Well, he wanted a guaranteed stream of income. That is what he wanted. It was important to him to have a monthly check. So when he went to these brokers and said, I want a guaranteed stream of income that I know it's coming in, well, the brokers basically have two choices, both of which are suitable for him. Choice number one is an annuity. Whichever insurance company that brokerage firm uses, they will select that annuity, that annuity will pay the most generous commission there is for a broker on Wall Street today, as far as we know. The other choice to provide guaranteed income is a government bond. In fact, it's the only investment, not the annuity, that can truly say, say it provides a guaranteed stream of income. The only difference being the income can vary because government bond rates will vary with maturities. For the broker, however, the commission on the same portfolio is about 98 99% less than what he would be getting personally in the annuity. That is why five different brokers from five different firms in four different states all had the same example. They were both suitable investments, and the broker only has to do what is suitable. And that is the whole point of this second hour is to 
relay real-world examples of the difference between suitability and fiduciary. And just to kind of go into that, you know, what is a fiduciary? A fiduciary is someone that manages money for the benefit of, of another called a beneficiary. A fiduciary is bound by law to place the interest of its beneficiary first before the fiduciary's own interest. Now, stockbrokers, also called registered representatives, account executives, financial advisors, wealth managers, are not fiduciaries. Even though they have engaged in high visibility advertising to portray themselves as full-service investment advisors. It's real easy. Ask your stockbroker if he or she holds a Series 7 securities license. If he or she does, then it's, it's probable that they aren't a fiduciary. And you have to understand, a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management are subject to the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, which makes us a fiduciary. Okay? And it's so, so important. I mean, we cannot stress this enough to understand the difference. In the same example, a choice for us between an annuity and a portfolio of government bonds as a fiduciary, we have to go with the government bonds because that is what is best for the client, not what is suitable, what is best as a fiduciary. And a non-fiduciary stockbroker follows only the suitability standard, which doesn't require a stockbroker to place the interest of their client ahead of their own. Under the non-fiduciary suitability standard, a stockbroker need provide only suitable advice to it, to their clients, even if the stockbroker knows that the advice is not in the client's best interest. A non-fiduciary stockbroker, you know, bottom line, they have a fiduciary duty to their broker-dealer, to who employs them. That is who they have a fiduciary duty to, not their client. And it, I, I can tell you, Dad, when I sit down with prospective clients and I tell them that financial salespeople, stockbrokers, are not required by law to put their interest in front of their own, it blows their mind. But what's, a, what's unfortunate is that individual investors don't understand that there is a difference between what registered investment advisors do, what we do here, versus what a broker does. It was the manager at Bayesian Company that I worked for as a manager that led me to become a registered investment advisor. That you worked as a broker for. Yes, I worked as a broker for them. One day I was analyzing the bond market. I was sitting at my desk looking at this chart, that chart, and he came up to me and said, John, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to figure out what the long bond's doing. And he said, we don't pay you to be an analyst. We pay you to sell securities. We're not in the business of analyzing markets, managing money. We're in the business of selling securities. The light went on in my head, and from that day forward, I chose the path of becoming a registered investment advisor. And it all went back to the manager at a brokerage firm and a young broker trying to understand and help his clients. And a registered investment advisor must follow the trust standard, and it's the highest known in law, which requires an RIA, a registered investment advisor, to place the interest of their client ahead of their own to fulfill the critical fiduciary duties of trust and confidence. 
So again, that's that trust standard versus the suitability standard. And this is why when you go to the big name brand broker dealers, I mean, you can list them off. There's commercials all over the place, all over television, radio, the computer for these for these firms. You know, you have to understand they're in the job of asset collection, asset harvesting to sell investment products. And it's also important when we come back from the bottom of the hour break to, to go into a lot of the proprietary relationships that are in place with your traditional broker-dealers and mutual fund families and other investment product providers to understand. And really, I think what also led a lot of investors to, to have received advice during the financial crisis of staying the course and why that advice came so much so from your traditional broker-dealer or stock brokerage type firms. And so we'll get into that when we come back from the, from the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing discussing that critical difference between your traditional stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, um, I wanted to talk briefly about the proprietary relationships that brokerage firms have. Now, prior to joining Davidson Capital Management, I spent a few years uh, as a mutual fund wholesaler where my clients as a mutual fund wholesaler were stockbrokers. I sold my company's loaded mutual funds to brokers in the state of Texas because that was part of my territory in the state of Texas. And it's important for investors to understand of these relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms. Um, and every single mutual fund family, you're going to have a mutual fund family that has some great mutual funds, some decent to average mutual funds, and some not so good mutual funds. Dogs. Dogs. Poor performing mutual funds. But a lot of these brokerage offices have very limited shelf space of the mutual fund families that they want really prominently displayed in the office. And sometimes in order to get shelf space, there are marketing fees that are paid and things of that nature. Now, again, this was in the late 90s, early 2000s when I did the, you know, when I was a mutual fund wholesaler. Um, it's important to understand that a mutual fund wholesaler's job is to gain a relationship with a broker and to educate them about the mutual funds that are being made available by the fund family and sell them on why they need to be selling these funds to the clients. But it's also important for clients to understand that some mutual fund families have revenue sharing agreements with brokerage firms where the brokerage firm collects a portion of the management fee being charged by the mutual fund family for those clients' assets to be in there. And really the point I'm working towards is getting back to the financial crisis. 
because when we're meeting with prospective clients after the financial crisis, we always, when we do our portfolio reviews and analysis, I always ask, well, what was the advice and guidance that you were receiving from your investment professional, from your broker during the financial crisis? And 10 out of 10 times, the advice was stay the course. And they were, the prospective client would question me, you know, why was the advice stay the course? Why wasn't it like, let's get a little more liquid. Let's, let's get some money on the sidelines. Let's get some cash on hand. And I really, and again, in, in, in my 17 years of experience, what my mind leads back to is revenue sharing agreements that brokerage firms have with mutual fund families and other financial product providers that if assets are not in these mutual funds, then there's no revenue to share because there's no management fee being generated by the mutual fund family. So if advice coming from brokers to their clients was let's sell, let's get more liquid, then these brokerage firms could be slicing their own throat and the revenues that they're that, that are being driven that they're being driven off of these mutual fund holdings by their clients at these brokerage firms. So it would have seriously cut into their bottom line if it was let's get out, let's get liquid, because now there's no revenue coming from these outside mutual fund families. And it's important for investors to understand. And I can tell you that when we do portfolio reviews and analysis, and particularly there's certain brokerage firms that have affinity, that have love for very particular mutual fund families. Well, you can basically name a firm, and we will name without even, look, without even looking at the portfolio, not even seeing the portfolio, we could bet the potential client you own one of these funds. From a particular fund family. Just because we've been doing this, you know, in our 26th year of business, and we've reviewed quite a few portfolios in those 26 years, we see a pattern, we see a trend, and because of my inside intimate knowledge of the relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms, it's no surprise. Now, listeners are probably, you know, y'all are probably hearing this on the radio thinking, well, gosh, how could brokerage firms do this? It's suitable. They're in It's suitable. It's suitable. It's it's suitable. It, it's They're suitable. not violating any rules. They're not violating any laws. That is the whole point of this second hour, is so you understand. There's a great commercial on right now. I love this commercial because it really sums up what we're talking about. And it's these two gentlemen, and he's giving the guidance to the prospective client, and he hands him this giant grain of salt. <laughs> And he hands it to him, and he says, you know, we're going to be in this fund, this fund, this fund. And he says, oh, by the way, I get paid a higher commission and higher trailing fees on this because of our proprietary relationship, you know, with these with these funds. And he said, well, you know, shouldn't that be illegal? And he's kind of like, yeah, I, well, no, not, not really. I mean, he kind of has a look like, well, I guess you got a point, but no, it's not illegal. But I'm going to be making higher higher fees off this proprietary relationship that we have with these fund families. And I love that commercial. It's just started playing, so I'm sure our listeners have seen this commercial. Pay attention to it because that is what we are talking about. Well, you know, there's another commercial that the financial consultants are doing in which they hired a DJ in Dallas 
and they cleaned him up, got rid of his dreadlocks. He's really a nice-looking guy. Well, no, that's talking about financial planners, and I have a whole other bone to pick about financial planners, yes, but, which I'll get to. But within this, he looks the part. They put him in a he nice office. He sounds the op- part. They put him in a nice office, you know, glass, uh, everything you would want. He's got the columns. He's got the suit. He's smooth-talking. We, and, and he asked him, would you give me the account? Well, sure we would. And he said, would you like to know what my experience is? And, and I'm a my, DJ. You know, I'm a DJ. And he shows pictures of him, you know, dancing around. So, uh, you know, again, but I think that also comes back to another article, which we're not going to talk about on this weekend show, about just the number of, don't, don't let the number of accolades and awards received by a financial <laughs> professional dazzle you, think, making you think that they have a higher level of expertise or experience and experience than they actually do because again it's all marketing um but you know i will i do want to talk about uh financial planners before we go to the next break because this is something we've also talked about on the show and financial planning has has really become a a really booming industry and there are designations, a certified financial planner, which is a very difficult designation to get. You have to go through a lot of education, a lot of test taking. It is not easy to do. Plus, you have to have industry experience to get the CFP designation. And we're not taking away from that because it's a very prestigious designation. It is. But you have to be very, very careful how this potential financial how this financial planner is getting compensated because we have seen situations where financial planners are using this financial planning designation as another marketing tool as a way to sell investment products as a way to generate commissions so you have to ask as the prospective client how are you getting compensated are you fee only? Are you fee based financial planner? Or are you selling investment products where you're earning a commission? And you need to ask those questions. And if they're not giving you a straight answer, that is when you slowly get up from the table and you walk away. You, as a prospective client, have the right to ask a straight, straight up question and get a straight up answer. Ask them, do you have your Series 7? If they have a Series 7, pretty good chance they're compensated on commissions and that's when with the whole situation with suitability versus the fiduciary standard if they say well i have my 65 which is to be a, a registered investment advisor representative without a series 7 or a series 6 then they be leaning more on the side of fee only and of course at davidson capital management we are completely fee only registered investment advisors, which puts us on the same side of the table as our clients because the more money we make for our clients, the more money we make for ourselves, and vice versa. We are not compensated based on commission. And being a registered investment advisor means that we are fiduciaries. We have to follow the trust standard required by law to put our client's interest in front of our own. But you have to understand these differences when you sit down with a financial professional to understand who you're potentially getting involved in and don't let a lot of letters after their name on the card dazzle you into thinking that they have a level of expertise and knowledge that they may or may not have. You have to vet them out yourself. You have to dig deeper. As I have said, going back to 2005 on this radio show, 
And, you know, what we've also talked about on the show is the way that you can look up your investment professional that you're thinking of working with or who you're, or who you are currently working with simply by going to Google, typing in the Google search broker check, and that will take you to the FINRA website. And FINRA is the regulatory body overseeing the really the financial sales arm of the financial service industry. You type in your broker's name and it will go to their report. Now, the one thing to keep in mind, and I've seen this, is that we've seen brokers starting to use middle names or different first names to try to get around potential bad reports. I've noticed this, that they make these name changes so you can't track them down as easily, but you still have that tool available as a prospective client to go in and do research on that investment professional to find out if they have any regulatory issues, any customer complaints, what those complaints are involved, to see if they have any personal bankruptcy or personal financial issues, or if they've had any criminal misdemeanor or felony charges in their lifetime. So utilize the tools that are available. Well, we've got to take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to commercial break, again, spending the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program talking about, again, the critical differences between a stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, and, and, and also at the beginning of the hour talking about how the SEC is still in the process of studying to find out whether they're going to hold traditional stockbrokers to the same fiduciary standard as we are held to as a registered investment advisor here at Davidson Capital Management. And I have a feeling this is going to be an ongoing saga that's never going to reach a conclusion um, because, again, I think that this would put a serious uh, dampening on revenues at traditional broker-dealer firms across this country. So I'm definitely not holding my breath. The fact that this that this provision or, or the discussion of adding this provision has been around since the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, and we're now in 2015, and the head of the SEC, Mary Jo White, has only been intensely studying it for the last few months, I'm not holding my breath that anything is going to get done. So what you have to do as an investor, you have to arm yourself with knowledge. That's one reason why we have the Money Wise program and why we're in our 10th year of doing it. But you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to be an educated consumer. And before you sign on that line as dotted, you have to utilize all the, the research capabilities that are available on the Internet. And as we went to the last commercial break, talking about utilizing the FINRA website, which is the regulatory body of broker-dealers, of stockbrokers, 
and doing what's called a broker check. By Googling, broker check takes you right to the website. You type in your broker's name, and you pull up their permanent record. I always jokingly <laughs> say, you know, in high the school, yeah, the in, in high school you've got your permanent record. Well, in the financial service industry, whether you're a registered investment advisor like we are, or if you're a or if you're a stockbroker, we all have a permanent record called our U4. And it tracks you throughout your entire career. So if you've had run-ins with client complaints, customer complaints, and what those complaints are, to see that if you've actually gotten sued by a former client and actually had to pay restitution, or if the brokerage firm or firm you worked for had to pay restitution. It talks about if you've had any kind of bankruptcies or personal financial uh, issues that is also reported in the U4 on broker check, or if you've had any misdemeanor or felony charges. And, I mean, I know for a fact, just from doing my own research, that we have an insurance salesman here in town that avoided a potential 10 years in prison on a drug felony charge <laughs> because of illegal search and seizure. I found this on broker check. I found this on broker check. I, I found a, a gentleman here in town, we, a prospective client, was getting ready to hand over over a million dollars of his hard work, his life savings, and this financial professional had filed bankruptcy three separate times. Now, I understand people run into financial difficulties. You know, I'm not making light of that. But if you've run into a situation where you've had to file bankruptcy multiple times and you can't keep your own financial house in order... I, as a prospective client, I would be a little nervous turning over my life savings to someone who's a financial professional who can't keep their own financial house in order. There's just no reason for people to do this when this is available to them. That's right. And, and, and again, you're going to go and, and look up financial professionals that have a very clean record, but it's also going to show you what licensing they have. Going back to this, that if they have a Series 7, that their compensation can come in the form of commissions. So again, knowing that they're on the financial sales side of the business. Um, you know, for us at Davidson Capital Management, having our Series 65 as a registered representative of a registered investment advisory firm, we follow the fiduciary standard that we have to follow as an RIA. I haven't seen numbers. I know once upon a time, I think we quoted there's 15,000 of us. And there's over 300,000 of them. Closer to 400,000. Cool. I mean, Registered Investment Advisors is a very small minority in the financial service industry. So you're more often than not going to run into a traditional stockbroker than you are a registered investment advisor. Now, I, I want to just kind of give this blanket disclosure. You know, we're not using this hour to beat up on brokers. There are a lot of good, hardworking brokers. In fact, one of my friends is a broker that, that are, do right by their client, that do a good job. But you have to understand as an investor what type of an investor you are. If you're the type of an investor that likes to call the shots of what's bought and what's sold in your portfolio and when that occurs, you're best suited to work with a stockbroker. Though that's really what they're there for. They, you can ask them questions. They can give you some advice and guidance. You can bounce investment ideas off of them. They can give you their personal opinion, and they can process the trades for you. If you're the type of investor that doesn't 
want to have that control, that wants to turn over the decision-making on a day-to-day basis to the investment professional, then you're best suited to work with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management. And you have to understand the brokerage industry over the last 15-plus years, because of the pressure they've been feeling from registered investment advisory firms like us, have developed programs to give you that active asset management from either themselves at the brokerage firm or an outside money management firm that they partner with. But you have to understand that your broker is not the person that is making those day-to-day decisions. Your broker is nothing more than the middleman of that transaction. They're getting paid a fee to steer your money to an outside asset manager or to the home office to an asset management group that you will have no relationship with, they won't know you from Adam, and you're paying an extra layer of fees on top to have your broker being nothing more than a mouthpiece in this transaction, where instead of working directly with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management, you eliminate that extra layer of fees. You go directly to the source and you have that personal relationship with that investment professional who's making those day-to-day decisions with your assets. You can look at them in the white of their eyes when you're working directly with a registered investment advisor. So you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to understand those critical differences between a broker and a registered investment advisor and the differences between what is suitable, what brokers follow, and what registered investment advisors follow as a fiduciary and following that fiduciary standard. And if any of our listeners want more education, do not hesitate to pick up the phone and give us a call at Davidson Capital Management at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.